Welcome to the Kickstart Podcast, where we highlight the stories of how professionals kickstarted and navigated their successful careers. My name is Preston, and on this episode, we have the pleasure of hosting someone who has an impressive career within software engineering at really great companies like Honeywell and even Wayfair. Today, he is the CTO of Wanderoo, the simplest way to book bus and train travel. Arno, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for, for having me. You're absolutely welcome. So I think a great way to start is by handing it back to you, Arno. For those that know don't know who you are, who might be unfamiliar with your background, would you mind just sharing a little bit more about yourself? Sure. I mean, quick intro. So my name is Arno. Um, as you can hear from my accent, actually, I'm from France. So I grew up in France, but I spent most of my professional careers in the US. So I've been here for, for a very long time. <laughs> Uh, first in startups, in when I used to live in Texas, and then uh, then I moved to Boston, and then Boston I did more like I would call them mid-sized companies, but you know, who have been growing well. So I got very lucky to be honest through, through my uh, parkour uh, over the years, where uh, I the the. I enjoy going to good companies, you know, where I learn a lot. Wonderful. I, I'm, I'm curious, how did you get into software engineering? Is that something that you've always wanted to do? Or did you just coincidentally just kind of fell into it at the start? So it's it's more the latter. <clears throat> so, and it's mostly thanks to my father, I would say. So when I was nine years old, effectively, I asked for having a gaming console. <laughs> And my father is like, no, but I can buy you a computer. <laughs> and so and he's like, yeah, I'm going to buy you one game. But otherwise, if you want to play, you have to build a game, this kind of thing. So that's how it kind of all started. At the time, there was also this uh, listings, you know, this actually magazine that lists code. And so, and the problem with this listing is that the, the code never worked. There was always something wrong. There was a syntax error somewhere. So it kind of forced me to start debugging and say, what's wrong there? And definitely fix some of the listings, effectively, so I could actually play the games. So that's how it got started. And when I had to choose my path after high school, you know, that, that, you know it, it became a very natural path, mm-hmm. I shall say. Was there any point in the beginning of your career you're like, I want to do something else? Or after your first taste of, you know, having a job, making an income from software engineering, you're like, this is it. Long term. When I started in startup in Texas, let's just say it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I think that's part of the that's part of the pleasure as well. But no, not really. At the end of the day, you know what was good is that I was given a lot of responsibilities that, in my opinion, maybe I was not necessarily. I was maybe too junior for. <laughs> Uh, but that's good, right? Yeah, I took on the challenge and yeah, I was able to be successful. And uh, so what, that craziness actually helped me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I took that as as that, right? as an opportunity versus versus a problem. Yeah, it forced you to grow up and step up very quickly, right? Exactly. Okay. And then I know that you've had an amazing, accomplished career working in a lot of different companies, from startups to more enterprise, larger companies. What environment do you like better or, you know, kind of suited you uh, the best? Or like what is kind of maybe uh, an aspect that you liked about startups, an aspect you liked about bigger companies, but also aspects maybe that like, you know, you didn't expect or really surprise you in both environments? That's a great question. And that's that's a lot, a lot of uh, self-introspection on this one. <laughs> but 
from a technology standpoint, I love technology, but for me, technology is a means to an end, right? It's, you use technology to do something. So while I love great code, I really care about quality uh, and, and I'm very structured that way. At the same time, you know, first of all, I understand the business needs. I understand that sometimes nothing can be amazing from a code standpoint, that's, that's okay. And, and so I'm an engineer at heart, for sure. At the same time, I understand uh, that you know, the technology is used for certain uh, to have a certain impact on the business, and I want to you know for me that comes first. So that's one thing on one side. I mean that while I'm an engineer, I really want quality. It, nothing can be perfect. Mm. That's another thing, especially when it's it is created by humans. That usually doesn't work out that way. But on the other side, in terms of cultural environment, there are things that I really care about. One is about transparency. And part of that is because I tend to be more on the blunt side of things. Maybe that's my European uh, way of coming coming through. But I really love, I have no problem getting feedback, giving feedback. And for me, that's the only way that we can learn and grow effectively as individuals, but also as a company. So I really care about that. I think that one is doing a very great job with that. I think that my perception, that's only mine, that's one way that one will survive the pandemic in the travel space, thanks to that level of transparency, effectively, where everybody could step up and own their own path in a way that makes sense from a company's perspective, which is the other thing I really care about, ownership. Right? I want people to own their stuff. And yeah, it's messy, and yeah, it's not great all the time, and there are things that go right, that things that go wrong, but I really want people to take ownership and so and there is a book I really enjoy about extreme ownership that talks about that. Right? It talks about, well, what can you uh, what can you do within your own domain so that you make it better? Even if there are different things coming from left and right, you have integrations with external partners and they are not doing the right thing on that side. Sure, you need to influence them, give them the feedback, see how you can help them get better. But at the same time, there is always something you can do on your side to make it better as well, right? You know, maybe you do more self-healing, maybe uh, you, you you are able to retry in different ways. Like, there, there are always something, right? And mm-hmm. so for me, that means, that's what I mean by by taking ownership mm-hmm. and, and really making sure that, you know, it could be a small part of what we do, it could be a big part of what we do, but then it doesn't matter, right? Taking full ownership of it so that, you know, not only it works, but we keep on improving on it and ultimately, that's how we'll be something awesome. In terms of ownership and transparency, in your previous experience, even before Wanderu, did you find most of this at larger companies or smaller companies, a little bit of mix? It's funny because the larger companies I've been at, I've tried to mimicate kind of that startup field. So I don't know between startup or big companies, uh, a big difference from the ownership standpoint and, and transparency. I do believe that you know, in bigger companies, because there are so many great levels, uh, of hierarchy, right? Yeah, it's very, it's much harder to promote transparency, right? Yeah, because things get lost in translation, uh, and uh, and yeah, communication is harder to navigate, which could cause two things. One is that the lack of communication on what the person should care about, or on the contrary, too much noise, mm-hmm. right? Too many emails, too many things. You are going left and right, and try striking the right balance is actually very, very, very hard. 
And you know, that, that's a problem in, in bigger companies, for sure, that I've experienced myself. And trying to solve for that is actually a big, big challenge. And you know, trying to strike the right tone, even in terms of communication, and make sure that you know, things are well received in a way that you, know, you want to communicate so that others can do things better right, overall. And then can understand where we're coming from so that they can they can push forward in you know in a, in a better direction. And obviously you have to be careful with that, right? You, know, yeah. you don't want to blame people. That that doesn't help anybody. Uh, you, know, you don't want to blame a team or a company or about you know, you don't want to find excuses. It's all about okay, what can we do uh, to, to get better, to to tackle an opportunity and, and try to communicate on that. And you know, that's very difficult when there are so many layers. Effectively, so I think it's more that transparency is easier in startup. I don't necessarily consider that's not something that big company or small company cares more or less about. It's more like, yeah, it's easier to have transparency when you have a team of 15 people and you can just talk to them individually on a very regular basis and, and make sure that you're aligned effectively. In terms of ownership, you know, same thing. I've, I've worked in company where ownership was something that you know, was always top of mind and I really appreciate it. That because that also means you know be able to delegate ownership and be able to make sure that people have the flexibility and uh, to 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 take that ownership effectively, which is important too. Right? It's not oh I want to own everything. Okay, well first of all that may not be the right thing to want to own everything, but two you know I'm going to give you enough prop so that you can own it, and then you know. If things don't go necessarily the way that you know, seems, seems valid, then we'll talk about it. And, but I still want to make sure that the other person has the proper level of ownership, no matter what. Hmm. The, but so it's not like people, same thing, big companies or smaller companies care more or less about ownership. I do believe that yeah, it depends on the company culture. And I've been lucky uh, in my career for, to, to, be, to have companies that promote ownership. I think same thing that in bigger companies, you tend to have bigger scope of ownership because you have less people. So, and yet between a big company and small companies, usually like if you're an e-commerce uh, company, you have to do the same thing. Doesn't matter if you're big or small, like the, the same kind of job should exist in different ways. Uh, it's just that you, know, you have much less resources in a small company to do that, which means that you put on board on each person versus a bigger company where people tend to create for better or specialize in the smaller uh, on the smaller subdomains, effectively. I appreciate you sharing. And another, one more question I have just about your career up until present day is, um, what was your primary method of uh, being able to get these great jobs at companies like TripAdvisor, Wafer, and way back when, did you cold apply? Was it a recruiter? Was it, did you go through some, was it uh, affiliates or network? Um, you know, what, what, what was like your favorite means of getting these fantastic jobs? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. I don't have a great answer because there's one thing, I'm actually not very good in, in finding the right opportunities. Uh, usually, I'm good at taking on opportunities that present at me. Chupazer actually was for a recruiter. So I happened to, to talk to a recruiter and a person. And I was like, oh, you, you should really, you know, let's, let's make sure that you can apply there. It's a good company. You should do that. So, so that's one. But before that was actually uh, me just trying to figure out some companies I wanted to go to. 
And then, uh, and then otherwise, at least two or three times, it was actually because of people I knew. You know, one time actually was because somebody in my team finding a new opportunity and say, hey, Arnaud, you should come with me. <laughs> and, you know, we had a, a kind of a package deal if you're on with that company. Another time was, you know, people that I know in my network being already in, the, in that company and telling me, hey, I think you'll be good there. You should, you know, if you're interested, let's let's talk. So, uh, so I think network is important for sure. I can see that. Uh, and then your recruiters can help too. So it's a big bag. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's interesting. So it's all of the above. And I know that at Wanderoo, you're using recruiters to help you uh, find people for your team. But, you know, it seemed like you also work with recruiters as the candidate looking for a job. Um, and I just find that interesting, obviously, for someone uh, within the, the recruiting profession. I just have to ask one more follow-up point. So for you looking for a job yourself, right? Working with a recruiter, what is the biggest value add that you found a recruiter had for your job search versus you like applying cold or through the normal means? So what I appreciate with a recruiter is more the keeping the communication lines open. You know, usually the recruiter, for whatever reason, promotes more transparency on both sides, uh, which I think ends up uh, making sure that, you know, candidates applying and then going through the interview process, you know, assuming that we want to make an offer, tends to better understand what they're getting into, which I think is important. Like, you know, I don't want surprises. I don't want people sharing about their first day. It's like, oh, that's not what I expected. You know, that, that's a failure, right? So we want to make sure that uh, candidates are comfortable with, you know, the company, the role, the team, you know, what they should be doing and so on. Um, and you know, what I find that recruiter tends to be very good at communicating on both sides and relaying information on both sides effectively about you know what's happening, why, you know, oh yeah, you did well on this interview, but may, maybe not that bit. It's like be careful for next time or so on. So that's what I appreciate on both sides of the equation, like both working with recruiters, because you know, from a high major standpoint, even for me, like I will make sure to message the candidate afterwards and say, okay, yeah, you did well. You know, here is the next step. But you know, I won't necessarily go into details into why, why not, uh, things to be watching, to be watchful for. So, um, so that that's definitely one one thing. And the other thing, obviously, for recruiters that I trust, that recruiters tend to have a, a strong network, right? On both sides, same thing. Uh, both a strong network of companies and a strong network of, of, of candidates. And and usually these are people or companies that they are known for a while. Right? And they, they took the time to usually understand. And and so so you know and that, that all allows sometimes to to do the proper matchmaking. I appreciate the kind words. Now let's fast forward to to Wanderer. So um, I want to know, first and foremost, like, how did you find uh, your job at Wanderer? <laughs> I mean, if someone were to look at your LinkedIn profile, your previous jobs are great, you know, more e-commerce oriented, consumer friendly uh, or consumer facing sites like Wayfair, TripAdvisor, combine those two together. It makes logical sense why you'd be like the perfect fit as a CTO of a smaller company in Wanderoo with their, you know, product within like the the similar space and e-commerce and travel and et cetera. But how did the opportunity find its way to you? Was it the recruiter? Did they reach out? Did you apply? Uh, no, uh, it was actually one of the co-founders reaching out to me on LinkedIn. So. Wow. <laughs> uh, so, so no, I, same thing, I got lucky. Right? Mm. I was not looking at 
that there, uh, at Wonderwo necessarily. I heard about Wonderwo in the past, so it was not a total surprise. The company was not a total surprise to me, but it was actually, you know, Igor, one of the co-founders, reaching out and saying, hey, do you want to talk? <laughs> it's like, sure, that's good, let's talk. So it's the co-founder reached out to you, which is uh, not too uh, uncommon for smaller companies. Founders play a, 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 a big role in recruiting. And so um, that's very understandable. But my second question is, you were at Wayfair then, right? When you reached out to you. Wayfair, for people who know the company or who don't know the company, is a very large company, right? Mm -hmm. And typically, people who have accomplished careers they strive to one day, you know, have a leadership position at a company like Wayfair, very stable, probably decent, fantastic income. You're managing a team. You still have growth uh, opportunities for yourself. And for a lot of people to leave that, even for a smaller company, no matter what that smaller company is building, can for a lot of people be deemed very risky and scary, right? Mm -hmm. To leave like your stable, cushy job at a big company like Wayfair. So how did you feel at that time? Were you scared or was the founder so convincing and you're just so excited? You're like, you know what? Cold turkey, let's do it. What would be your advice for someone who's listening right now in that same situation who might be working at a company like Wayfair, who might be considering an offer from a company like Wanderoo, but they're like, should I do it? Should I not do it? You know, I have to take care of my family. It's risky. It's too scary. Like what went through your mind? How did you feel? I mean, I can only talk about my own experience, which is at Wayfair, <clears throat> I was in the department for, for a while, right? for three and a half years. So I felt the need for a change. But to be perfectly honest, like I did look internally and externally. Right? So, and you know, I had plenty of very good position with people at trust at Wayfair if I wanted to. But for me, it was more a, a bigger choice, which is that I also want, always wanted since my startup days to go back and start up, but more on the other side of the equation, like be that on the executive side. <laughs> and at that point in my career, and even in my personal life, I felt like it was now or never. But if I wanted to realize that, that goal that I had for a very long time, then now what's the time? After that, it would be too late. And obviously, I didn't do that before. So that's why I went more, took more for startups at that time. And then why Wonderwall is an interesting one because you're right. Um, I was not necessarily interested in taking too much risk either. And there are multiple things that are really, really that for me Wonderwall was the best of best of both worlds, right? So, and let me describe that to you. Wonderwall is not a new startup. Wonderwall has been living for more than nine years, right? Yeah, it's not it's not a new thing. Uh, it has a track record that you can look at, right, with the same co-founders, right? So you can look at the co-founders, what they have done. You can look at what the company, what they have done. You know, the fact that they are still alive for a startup is usually a good testament of something good. And then they survived COVID, right? And which was evidently not easy. It was very, very, very hard for them. But, you know, they, they did it. They did it well. They became profitable to, in 2021 again. Like, yeah, there are lots of good things there. And then the other thing that I really enjoyed about Wonderwall is the fact that COVID happened. I, I know it's sad to say about Wonderwall because, you know, obviously that was not a great period in, our, in, in the life of the company. And if you talk to anybody that was there during that time, the first thing they want is to forget that. And, you know, I'm sure some people still have PTSD from it. But for me, it, 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 it tried as, a, as an opportunity, right? Here, because with COVID, what happened is that Wonderwall lost a significant amount of revenue overnight, 
right? Because nobody was traveling. So it's not just one or any company in travel space were well, in, in, in a difficult position, which means that uh, one or had to go to, uh, to reduce size into a skeleton crew, effectively. So, um, and, 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 you know, focus on surviving during that time. And you know, that's the right thing that they had to do, right? They had no choice. That was, the, that was the thing that they had to do. But what I enjoy and why I joined is the fact that when I joined Wonder Woman in May of 2022, it felt like there was a big opportunity because, you know, surviving like quick wins and quick victories are great for a while, but obviously that's not a way to run the business long term. And I felt as a result like I could be part of the journey to actually effectively rebuild the company, right? You know, uh, focus, be able to put things in place so that we can grow the company, we can work on uh, making a big impact on the business and grow the business accordingly. So for me, I said that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity. These are things I've done previously. I've done that at Wayfair, for example, when I used to run uh, the mobile app engineers where I grew the team tremendously. Uh, did that at Tripazer um, uh, in multiple ways. Tripazer and Flipkey uh, did something similar. So for me, I felt comfortable that I will have a strong impact there, and that's something I enjoy. But you know, that kind of chaotic growth, if I can put it that way, um, it's really something I, I, I enjoy a lot. Previously, I thought I could do that again, and obviously in a very different context with a much smaller team and, and start from there. The other thing that for me was interesting is that the way I see from a business opportunity standpoint, for one way that the sky is the limit. And what I mean by that um, is that there is plenty of what is the leader in North America in their you know in, in current transportation. But that's a fact. But you know, when you look compared to the time event within a North American market, like you are just scratching the surface. I mean, you know, it's not even, you know, if you had to put a dagger, it would be a big bubble and like a small dot in there for, for what one always is, is, how much one always is fulfilling that market. And then, you know, it's not just on North America, like we have opportunities to grow in Europe, in Mexico, in other parts of the world, where you could argue even bus and trains are even more important there. And, and so, you know, not only we have growth, opportunities for growth within our own market, we have opportunities for growth across the world, effectively. And, you know, uh, and I believe, I strongly believe we're well suited for that. And so it's just a matter of prioritizing what's important for us, why, and, you know, and, and go from there. Mm, that's exciting. What? How big is the? Uh, how big is your team today, and how big is the company today? So the, the company. So we keep on growing. Uh, the company today is over twenty people. I think you know, if, depending on who you include, if you include, we have a couple of contractors and all that. It's, it's approaching twenty-five. The tech team is fifteen. And at what kind of uh, fundraising round is the company? So the last funding fundraising round was in twenty seventeen. Right. So since then, the company has been self-funding. And the company really wants to keep it that way, (laughs) (laughs) which is good because in the court context where I see a bunch of startups say, ah, I didn't get the funding, I had to close my doors, or I'm being forced to do something I didn't want to do, and now I have to help a bunch of people. Well, there is not that kind of pressure. The co-founders are majority stakeholders in the the company. We are profitable, self-funding, we don't need to raise money. So that that actually uh, creates a level of stability 
to some extent uh, that's that I think you know nowadays is is actually very good in the current context. But it doesn't mean that you know we don't get we don't have feedback. Same thing. Like I know the co-founders are actually very good at you know asking for feedbacks across the industry to make sure that we're on the right track. So it's not because you know, majority stakeholders. Oh well, you know I know best. I can just do my own thing. No, that's not that's not what we're doing either. But I like the fact that we're stable, profitable, and growing effectively. I think that's even more important today, as you put it so well. Uh, a lot of startups or companies, even around the same size as Wonder, are just completely dependent on the next round of funds, or all they see is the previous rounds of funds slowly running out, right, in the bank account. And it's very, very stressful. It's a very difficult time to raise and obtain um, liquidity or just any sort of capital in this market. And so it's fantastic that the team is lean, uh, but it's also sustainable. Uh, you can just carry on bootstrapping and you're profitable. And um, it's also, I think, very impressive to say that you are a leader in North America, even though uh, for you to grow within North America, there's still so much for the company to grow and, and continue to dominate, which is great. For people who are just un, uh, unfamiliar so much with Wanderer, so you are the leader in ground transportation. Mm -hmm. Without Wanderer, what would be the alternatives that someone would use? And like, why, why does... Uh, where where does that value of Wanderoo's product come in for like the end user or the customer? Like how, how did you guys change the game or how are you innovating or is it all about like uh, streamlining, optimizing the user's experience, finding different modes uh, of transportation and different options? In my opinion, our biggest competitors are the what we call the carriers themselves. Right? So for example, we take it, you know, with with Amtrak, with with all the big names in in bus and trains, right? And, you know, if uh, if if you know a bus company out there, most likely we have them as a as a partner, and we really value that partnership, obviously. But these are the big, biggest competitors because why would you go to one instead of just going to Amtrak and mm -hmm. book your tickets there or Peter Pan or any other uh, major bus carriers or even little ones? Because I truly believe that during the pandemic, Wanderoo actually kept some of the smaller carriers alive, effectively, because that's one way for, especially for smaller players, to be discovered, right? In a, in a, in ways that you know, they would ever have been discovered before. And the value add, I think, is multiple ways. We are very end-user focused, right? You know, which you know, some carriers are very much like that, right? And they are big enough that they can understand the two sides of the marketplace, and it's not just about driving buses, but also making sure that you bring passengers to, to these buses, but not all. And you know, one added benefit that we have, especially for the smaller carriers, is that we are end-user focused, right? We are going to care about the user and make sure that we present these carriers in a proper light for the end users so that the end users are likely to, to book on that carrier. So, you know, that, uh, so that's part of the partnership that I think we, we bring a value add for sure. For the end user standpoint, I think there are multiple value adds that we provide. One is the diversity, right? The, the main difference between going to Amtrak.com and versus going to Wonderoo is that, you know, especially because on Wonderoo, it's not about you picking like, I want to go from this station to this station. It's that give us your point A and give us your point B as actual locations, addresses, and we'll figure out how you get there. Through public and quantum transportation. The, the point there is that you know, we give you choices across train and buses or a mix of the two, uh, whatever it takes for you to get to your destination. 
And, and that's that's something that you can find anywhere, effectively, right? Yeah, because of the diversity of the ecosystem that we have, all the partnerships we have, you know, 70% integrations, API integration, which hundreds and hundreds of carriers. Uh, I think, well, last time I caught it was a little bit, almost 500 carriers that we have. Like, I mean, it's insane, right? Uh, uh, but that's that's the value add right there, is that we have all this partnership with many carriers, and that means better inventory that we can present to the users effectively. So, how, how is the company different from like other sites like Kayak or TripAdvisor or Expedia that also shares a lot of different options? So I think there are a couple of, of things. Uh, with Kayak, actually, it's interesting because Kayak, for example, you can search for bus and trains, but it's actually using Wanderoo's data. Mm-hmm. Under the hood, actually, it goes to Wanderoo and asks us, okay, give me your schedule space. And then, and then ultimately, if you're, if you're like, yeah, that's the trip I want to take, okay, then you get redirected to Wanderoo to complete the booking. I see, I see. So, um, they, reach, so they reach out to Wanderoo to establish that. Uh, yeah, and uh, that, that shows... You know, their prominence on the, on that, in, in that mm-hmm. market of control supervision, right? Um, the difference with the co-creators with like Tripazer is that we have a slightly different model. And I think it's important to mention that. Uh, most of the money we make is through bookings, right? So it's not, uh, you know, versus competitors like Tripazer that is more, um, I call it advertisement, even though so it's not really that, it's referrals is a better way to say that, where they don't necessarily deal with the booking per se, but you know, they are going to refer the users to the right place, you know, give them the choice. And then, they, you know, in our case, is we want, you know, ultimately, if we want to drive the users to our booking on our website or on our apps, because you know, that that's where the money is for us, right? So, which I think is better for multiple reasons. Uh, it's better for the user experience because we're not just trying to put them in somewhere else that may or may not be a good fit for them. Like, you know, we ultimately want for them to book the right trip for them. So it, it has better incentive for us to do the right thing from an end user standpoint. And so, and I think that that's important. That's actually critical to, in my opinion, to, to have a successful product. And you know, and and well, we need to meet the we need to meet the need of both sides, right? We need to meet the need of the end users to be able to book, but also of the carrier so that they have all the information that they need to to, to welcome the the passenger, you know, appropriately. Mm. So, so I think that's for me that's the main thing. The, the in terms of other competitors, you know, just just the fact that we are well, that leader on the market, you know, we have all these partnerships with the many carriers and which will result in booking, which like I said, it's a better model for both sides. But there's users because we're promoting, make sure the end users are getting to the right place so that they are willing to commit. And obviously for our partners, because they get actual bookings. <laughs> and not just maybe uh, one of the users will actually book with them. So mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a strong win-win relationship as a result on both sides. What is the company's stance of in-office versus remote? Interesting. <laughs> it has evolved over time, right? Um, but with COVID, one of the things that the company did is effectively get rid of their offices in Boston. So the company was created in Boston. There was an office in Boston. And while the company experimented with remote work even before the pandemic, you know, there was an office. There are people coming to the office. So, you know, after uh, with the pandemic, you know, there was no more office. At this point, Wonder was remote only, effectively. 
you know, however, obviously that means that people need to be able to collaborate remotely and we have a lot of uh, agile ceremonies and other things in place to try to promote that, obviously. But the other thing we do is that we like to meet company-wide every six months or for a few days, that people really have an opportunity to get together, discuss about important topics, like uh, last time we actually met in Florida and you know we talked strategically about what we want to do for 2023 and really have this deep discussion on domain per domain. That was actually fantastic. I really love them. But also to create you know trust and, and social bonds, which usually are easier to do when you're in person. Mm. Because is what would you say is your leadership philosophy if people are listening to this and they're kind of curious oh what would it be like working with Arnaud and on his team uh, it's funny because I've actually created a I have my little manager in me uh, that I like to for anybody joining on the team I like to I like to describe right because something it's important for people to know what they're getting into. The way I will describe my leadership style is more as a servant leader, effectively. So for me, it's having the right people doing the right work, owning the right things, and then you know, letting them do their best, <laughs> effectively, and supporting them to do that. Right? You know, I think, like I said before, providing critical feedback is important. Be able to be aware of things even so i'm not the one making decision in their domain that's their responsibility but be aware of things so i can you know uh support them and, and potentially direct them in some some small ways or at least make suggestions and effectively be able to unblock them right if there's something that's bigger than them i still want as part of my extreme ownership philosophy for them to find ways to influence or find their way so that they can unblock things on their own Right, you know, because uh, not that escalation is a failure per se, but usually there are other things you can try beforehand, and it's good to talk about those things and you know um, uh, first. But obviously, if, you know, sometimes they are blocked for very uh, good reason, and in that case, obviously, I want to be able to help them directly as well. So mm. I'm very much hands-on in different areas, and that's that, that's the way I like it. You have to in the startup anyway, but you know that's that's all sort of I like it. I like to be busy. What would you say would be like the X factor of Wanderoo in terms of internal environment or culture that makes the team and the working environment very unique and a, you know an advantage compared to working at other companies? There are a couple of things that make Wanderoo special. One is that level of transparency. And I do believe that you know, like I said before, and I have some anecdote about that where that was made the company survive in my opinion. Two is the fact that the Leadership is fairly diverse, right? The, the CEO is, is a woman. You know, we have another executive with a woman on the on you know on the executive team. Like you know, there is a diverse set of backgrounds, and part of that you could argue that's what promotes the transparency as well. You know, because a lot of these backgrounds you know really you know, really cherish that as a thing, and I think at the end of the day, the company really cares and a strong empathy for, for, for his people, right? And when I say the company, I mean everybody in the company, right? So I've been in a company where, you know, everybody should be replaceable. That's not the thing. But, you know, where people are treated more as things <laughs> uh, than, than the actual people. And that, that's not a problem at one level. Like, you know, we really care about the, our people and, and, and making sure also to expose them to the right opportunities. So... 
when we have development conversation, when we set goals. So as much to include what we need from the business, but making sure we incorporate what the employee actually wants uh, effectively, right? In uh, to grow their career and making sure that we can accommodate that, right? It needs to it needs to be a win-win, right? It needs to solve the problem that we have. So it's not like you know everything is possible, but but at the same time, we're a small company. Lots of people wear many hats. Usually, there, there's opportunity to start moving people in a certain direction. If that's that's what they want to do, mm-hmm. and and yeah, through the history of Wonder Woman, there are plenty of examples of doing that. Right, so it's, it's not just like wishful thinking, but uh, but really like you know a practice that has been established actually for way before my time. Aside from growing and continue to grow and increasing the company's market share in North America, is there any maybe future new products or features or verticals that the company is working on that could be a little teaser for the audience that we can maybe <laughs> uh, look forward to later this year or next year? It's funny because well, that's a lot of the discussion that we're having on a on a regular basis, you know, both with the executive as, as the whole company. And as I mentioned before, the sky is the limit, right? So there we, you know, maybe we say, okay, we're going to invest in Europe, right? For example, as a market, we have a food there, but yeah, why not? I would not say we're the leader in this region form, by far. So or other markets, like I mentioned Mexico in the past, that's that's what I think. Like we have, we have a food there, but are we really the leader there? No, we're not. For me, I believe that there is so much potential in North America, that at least for me, the short-term focus should actually to, you know, try to understand, try to act, act on that potential, understand, act on that potential. You know, you have to understand the history, right? You know, for, with COVID, the company has to survive. So compared to a normal company that we have kept on working on the lot of big initiatives and things that they can do that, that have, you know, bigger impact, but later, Kind of thing. Uh, what do we have that luxury? So I think first is trying to restart that engine, and you know, I think we're actually almost there and getting that engine and started delivering on on bigger things with bigger impact. But I think that while we're doing that, it's better to focus on the North American market and, and do that first. You know, and that includes like you know new features. Like if you look at our end user experience, you could argue well. There are opportunities for improvement there. So that's something that we want to focus on, for example, short term. Um, so that our end user feel very comfortable with booking with us, even if they don't know us. And uh, they, they, we make it very frictionless for them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think there are definitely opportunities there. And then once we make our product even stronger, and I believe that's where it will be the right time to start explaining other directions. So I didn't give you a straight answer about actual features, but hopefully you you could see got a sense about well, let's make the product stronger short term so that we can start expanding long term. There's one thing I'm excited about to be honest. I'm not sure when it's going to be, but that's something I'm pushing. So that's my own push, is that I believe there is opportunity to find more of a post-booking experience. So once you book, right, making sure that not just you have your tickets, but we can keep on communicating with you about, oh, your bus is late, or, or you know, that, that bus got canceled or rescheduled, or you know, let, let's work together to find you, uh, to, to make sure that you're, you're in the right place. I think there is a party like that, especially in the travel space where people are on the go. Uh, so that's my uh, personal push that I'm making. 
for uh, for people who are listening and like, oh wow, maybe I have a trip coming up and Wanderoo can you know sound like a fantastic site to visit uh, to see the, all the different options out there. You mentioned that the company makes most of the the, the you know the, the the revenue from bookings, but from the end users' point of view, if they're wondering like, do I have to pay money to use Wanderoo? Is it free? Will you just take a little bit of like a a fee off of like you know the the final checkout price? Is there a cost for the end user to use Wanderoo if they're curious? Right now, there is no cost. For users uh, to, to use one or the cost is absorbed effectively by the carriers. I'm not saying it's going to be like that forever, but obviously, if we change that proposal or that, uh, then there needs to be a very big reason why. And the, so, no, it's, you know, it's, and I think that comes from the way that, you know, Wonder World was created, right, which was meant to, uh, and the demographics uh, of Wonder World, which was meant for people, originally, it was meant to provide options. In the underserved market, right? You know, because a lot of OTAs and companies out there tend to focus on things like flights mm. uh, and, and bigger mode of transportation, and but also for smaller budgets, right? It's usually cheaper to take the bus than it is to fly. <laughs> so I think going back to those routes, the goal was to streamline and make sure that you know, the cost is as as low as possible. Um, nothing is going to be like that forever, for sure, but. For now, if no matter what, part of the company tenants is to make sure that it's cost effective for users to, to use it. And uh, and that's one of our uh, value proposition that we want to keep one way or the other. Hmm. Are there uh, positions that you'll be hiring for into the future? Um, if they're if they are, what kind of positions are they and how can people apply? We we have multiple positions listed on our website. You know, so the best way to apply is on our website. So you should go to wonderwood.com and there is a clear link. Uh, then feel free to go there. And all the positions are listed. Uh, so we, we make sure that you know, whatever is open is, is available for everybody to see. Right? There is no there's no secret position or anything like that. The, so so that's part of our transparency mandate. But we have a lot of position that we're trying to open. The most critical position is where we believe we have, I call them for better words, expertise gaps. So these are positions that even so we have been going, you know, we are still not in, we still have strong competency in a specific function. So one of the, you know, couple of positions or my top three positions, for example, one now, one is to have more of a I call them a distinguished engineer. So somebody that been there, done that, well, as a large breadth of experience across a lot of domains and and can come to the engineering team and say, oh yeah, we should just do this and because that just makes sense. And obviously once once they learn about you know what we're doing and why. And so be able to having somebody that can really lead the way on the technical aspect, but by really deeply understanding the problems and opportunities, both on the business side and on the technical side that we're trying to solve. So that's one. Uh, the other two are a product management position. And the reason why I'm trying to hire for those positions is that while we have been successful at hiring across many competencies, product is still one of the competencies where we're lacking, uh, where we don't have as, we don't, we don't have the, uh, the expertise that we need. That's one. And two is because we created uh, cross-functional pods and you know, we believe we need to have a strong product function in each of these pods and join us that not the case, right? So we have people that are trying to serve that need, but ultimately I will not say we have dedicated product owner in those spots. And I think that's that's uh, that, that's an issue. 
So, so for me, that has been my top three effectively position I'm trying to fill. And you know, we'll go from there, but I'm hopeful. <laughs> Uh, that you know, I do believe that once people learn about Wonderu, they see they see the value of the company, they see the potential, they they see you know, we're trying to create a safe environment for people to to learn and grow. So I uh, hope that you know, more people will see will see the light and uh, join us. Uh, aside from the basics that you see on resumes, is there anything about a, a person's background, like a cherry on top, that if you see like oh that is actually really cool or kind of like a brownie point? <laughs> I think for me, what doesn't show on the resume is more like the the cultural values of uh, of the of the people, right, or the candidates, and and I think it's you know it's very important for the values of people to be aligned with some of the critical values of the company, or at least of of, of, its, of their leaders, like transparency, ownership, right, as I mentioned before. Uh, you know, be able to willing to willingness to learn, to improve, right? And and this don't show in the resume necessarily. <laughs> your resume tends to be very result driven or action driven, uh, and not really oh, I value this, I value that. Uh, and but for me, that's important. You know, these are usually things that I try to understand through even the first time my job screen. If it is trying to get a sense, will you, can you own something? Or have you own? For me, it's more like your past experience is the best predictor of future performance. So have you demonstrated proper ownership in the past? Have you, you know, how do you value, how did you value transparency in the past and so on? So for me, you know, that's for me, that's the X factor, if you want, that doesn't transpire from the resume, uh, but uh, very well, at least, that I really, uh, consider. And I guess lastly, uh, for people who aspire to have a really successful career like you did, being able to navigate a lot of different companies, working your way up to fantastic leadership positions across multiple companies, what would be one advice that you can give? I mean, I've been very, you could argue maybe I'm naive in my way, but I believe that, you know, if you do great work, if you show passion and ownership, then good things will come <laughs> at the company or somewhere else, effectively. And so that's always how I've been working, right? You know, do the best work I can, make sure that I'm on top of what I should be owning, you know, which, you know, the more, especially as an executive at Wonderful, my ownership is not limited to just tech, right? You know, I, I feel the need to make sure I'm fully involved with the rest of the executive team into the direction of the company. Which is, which is great that they welcome you. They welcome me doing that. But but for me, it's the it's the best work I can, and and by showing that passion and ownership, usually you know good things will come. Right? If you look at my parcours, I've been fairly lucky. You could argue, and I won't disagree with that. Uh, but I've also had the privilege of working with fantastic people I could learn from, and people then that effectively asked me. For my, for my help later on, right? And so I'm, I'm very grateful for, for that, you know, for my mentors, but also many, many peers that I have the pleasure of working with. And I think that what my, my way of building strong working relationship is by doing what I'm supposed to do and doing, the, doing it well and, you know, you know, fixing issues when they arise and so on. So, you know, if it, if it, if, 
you know, my naive way of saying it is that I do what's best for the company and good things will come. Good work will pay off at the end of the day. Exactly. So I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it does not deceive me so far. So I'll, I'll stick to it. Well, I know. I want to just thank you so much for clearing your busy CTO schedule uh, to have a chat with me. I, I find your story to be very refreshing and inspirational. Thank you for being open and honest about how you got into software engineering and some of your insights working at different companies to ultimately lead you to where you are now. I personally am a huge fan of traveling and I actually have a newfound recently um, intrigue and excitement towards uh, buses and trains aside from the, the usual planes. And so I can certainly see myself using one who is product a lot more into the future. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening can feel the same way too. And it really sounds like that the founders and you and other leadership on the team have made it a wonderful place to work with a culture that really respects transparency and ownership and just finding people full of passion and really those key themes I also saw to be quite present throughout your career from when you first started to, to where you are now. So I thoroughly enjoyed uh, chatting with you. I can talk about out travel and e-commerce and software engineering and, and successful careers like yourself for hours and hours, but sadly we don't have the time. But for the time being, uh, I will root for you and your team's success, a uh, huge fan Thank of Wanderu and excited to see uh, what the company will do, especially in a brand new year and, and beyond. So thank you so much again, and we'll certainly keep in touch. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe for other great stories that are coming up. If you need any help with hiring, know of anyone who's looking for a job or would like to be a guest on this podcast please feel free to reach out to us at www.kickstartfinder.com. Really, really appreciate it, and we'll see you on the next one.